When it comes to weight management, we tend to focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. That's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up today. You're listening to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. I'm Lee Keller, joined by John Kuh. On today's show, we'll cover the latest news around baseball, talk about and highlight some player performances from the past week, recommend some pitching streamers, and we'll be joined by pitcherless writer Nate Kosher to talk about his article, Flying Heim, Is Jonah Heim's Breakout for Real? But before we get into all of that, John, how's your week been going? Well, the Twins almost got swept by the Giants, so that was fun. Um... <laughs> But you know, other than that, uh, it's been it's been good. Uh, probably going to see Kevin Gossman pitch tonight against the Twins, so that'll be exciting. Um, he's like one of my favorite like non-Twins pitchers, and I think that's just because like I was super high on him that one year in Oakland uh, when he was like a basically maybe a top fifty pitcher, and I was like, this guy feels like he could have a breakout. Like no no real thought why that would be the case. I just liked him. I thought he was interesting. And then, um, yeah, he had that great season in Oakland, um, and then I've tried to get him on multiple fantasy teams ever since. Yeah, Gosman's someone who I've always enjoyed watching. He always had that hype, but just stunk. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then finally right. he got good. So he got sent to the bullpen for for like a season because he was so bad as a starter. Right. Yeah, I can't believe that he's evolved into what he has. I mean, his splitter is just one of the best pitches in baseball. It's great to see the evolution of that pitch. And just yep. to see that his career kind of took a 180. Right. Well, and also just like it, it's it's interesting because he's like shown his grip, like what he what his hand like looks like after he's had a start. And like that splitter like still d- is doing damage to like his his fingers and stuff. But he throws it so well. Hey, if that's what you have to do to get paid, then you've got to do it right. <laughs> yeah. But before we get into this episode, I'd like to remind all of you that you can follow our podcast on Twitter at ThisWeekPL, and you can send us your fantasy baseball questions to our email at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. Lastly, make sure that you subscribe to or follow the podcast on whatever streaming platform that you listen to your podcasts on. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, we're on all of them, so make sure that you subscribe to the podcast and leave a five-star review if you enjoy listening to us. Now, let's get into the MLB news since the last podcast. And shame on me here, I forgot to mention that Matt McClain of the Reds was called up. But, well, McClain got called up. (laughs) He was a top prospect in the Reds organization. Not as big of a name as Ellie De La Cruz or Christian Encarnacion Strand. But McClain was a first-round pick in 2018. McClain tore up the minors this season. He had a 348 batting average and a 474 OBP with 12 home runs and 10 stolen bases in 38 games. He cut down his strikeout rate by a lot and it's led to some awesome results, which is why he got called up. If he's out there in your league and you need a shortstop or middle infielder, pick him up. He bats second for the Reds and has 20-20 upside, especially in Great American Small Park. 
John, were you able to get McLean anywhere in any of your leagues? Um, I wasn't really looking to get any short stops. I, I'm kind of okay in most of those positions, but he is very intriguing um, just because of how he has looked fairly comfortable um, in the majors. The strikeout rate's not great, but that, that 348 batting average is actually translating um, to the majors. Not that he's batting 348 in his, what, like nine games-ish this yeah. so far, but yeah. he's batting 286, so... Um, that's still pretty solid for a rookie. Yeah, I'm actually very excited because in TGFBI, I put a $122 bid on Matt McClain. And can you guess what the runner-up bid was for McClain? Well, it's either something stupid like $12 or $115. It was $122, the exact amount oh. that I bid. So I must have had nice. a slightly higher claim level than him because... Yeah. That was crazy. Someone actually put it in our Twitter group that we have. We have a DM group that we did for the draft. Mm -hmm. And someone wrote, who was this? Because, my lord, that sucks. <laughs> and I was yeah, like, that's, I won him, so I was happy. And he was like, it was me. This sucks. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't have as good of a story. But last week, um, I was recommending Michael Lorenzen as a two-start you know, pickup. Because yep. he had some good – he had a good matchup. And so – uh, I was picking him as well because it's TGFBI. It's a weekly league, so you want to have two-star pitchers if you can. Right. And um, I lost out to Lorenzen. I think it was 18 to 17. Oh, no. <laughs> I was like, I don't feel bad about it too much because it's Michael Lorenzen. But at the same time, like, yeah, that still kind of stinks. <laughs> yeah, that is definitely rough. Even though it doesn't really matter, you kind of wanted him for no. that two-star week. Yeah, ex and exactly. To lose yeah. by a dollar is just really rough. So, is, yeah, I was yeah. able to scoop up McLean in three of my five leagues. And nice. I'm pretty happy about it. He's been really good. He hit his first home run two days ago and then followed up with another home run after that. So, really mm -hmm. good to see that McLean is starting to roll now. Speaking of call-ups, Nolan Jones of the Rockies was called up on Friday. He was a second-round pick in 2016, 25 years old, and has batted an absurd 356, 481, 711 with 12 homers and 5 steals across 39 games this season for AAA Albuquerque. With a 1.192 OPS and playing his home games at Coors Field, you might want to consider picking up this outfielder. The reason for the call-up might be due to performance at the minors for Nolan Jones, or because Brenton Doyle of the Rockies had to be carted off of the field after crashing hard into the center field wall when attempting to rob a home run in the top of the ninth inning. It's being called a knee contusion at the moment, so thankfully it's not too serious. It's similar to what Cody Bellinger was put on the IL for. Rockies manager Bud Black said he's optimistic that Doyle can avoid the IL, but the Cubs said the same thing about Bellinger and he went on there anyway, so I'm expecting to see some time off for Doyle, which leads to the Nolan Jones promotion, and also, sorry Brenton Doyle, we mentioned your name last week, and now you're hurt, so my bad. CJ Crone of the Rockies is expected to begin taking swings soon, he's been slowly returning from back spasms. Jorge Polanco of the Twins was placed on the 10-day IL on Saturday, May 20th, with a left hamstring strain. They haven't shared the results of his MRI yet, so we're just up in the air with that at the moment. Edward Julian was called up by the Twins on Saturday. He should get regular playing time as long as Polanco is out. They did, however, do something really weird with Julian, though. The Twins hit him fourth against the Giants, where John Brebbio was the opener, and he pitched a 1-2-3 first inning. Then the Giants brought in Sean Manaya. 
and the Twins pinch hit for the left-handed hitter Julian with the right-handed hitter Solano before Julian could even get in at bat. So that's very strange. John, any note on Julian really quickly? Because he's a hyped-up guy that has really good numbers and good contact skills, and if he's not getting at bats, we can't roster him. Yeah, so that was that was an interesting scenario where there might have been some gamesmanship from the the Giants because um, Gabe Kapler loves doing that that kind of stuff, right? right. Like, I, I remember last season he I don't know if it was a series against the Padres or the Diamondbacks, and like in game two, like he's sending he like the team's down like ten runs, but he's still he's not like pinch hitting for like a, a lesser batter. He's like, hey, go rock rock their rock their uh, relievers because his whole point is like we want to win a series. And if we can tire out the relievers in game one and game two, it gives us a better opportunity to win game three, right? And so right. that's Kapler. He, I mean, he loves doing that that stuff. And yeah, I mean, props to him for using strategy in that sense. So what was going on here was actually the original lineup uh, had Edward Julian batting leadoff right. uh, yeah. for, for the Twins because the expectation was Brebbia is going to come in, pitch an inning, and then um, they're going to have uh, someone like Shamanaya come in, but because, you know, you get one, two, three out of the way, Shamanaya is going to face, you know, the, the fourth hitter. He's probably going to be like a lefty and hopefully the string of lefties knocks out Shamanaya. That way, the next time Edward Julian comes back in the, in the lineup, um, he'll be facing a righty, you know, that's kind of what they were banking on. Right. And then Manaya threw like a bullpen session before the game. Twins heard about it. And then they they were like, okay, I guess Manai is not pitching today, and so it's probably going to be a right-hander, and so that that's why they were willing to move Edward Julian back um, a few spots in, in the in the lineup. Of course, then turns out Manai like maybe threw like eight to ten pitches, like maybe it was just like a quick warm up or something, um, and then ended up in the game, and then you know ended up having like a pretty decent outing. I think it was like four and two thirds innings, right? Um, and so yeah, I, I don't, I think it's just kind of like one of those things where maybe the Twins are overthinking it just a little bit. Edward Julian's going to get at bats um, regardless, uh, as long as you know he's on on the roster, and I think he's he's been able to see major league pitching pretty well. Um, you know, not necessarily at the level that he was doing in the minors, where he almost had back to back hundred walk seasons. Um, but I, I think he's a solid pickup in a in a deep league or an AL only league right now. Yeah, he's someone that could be very good, but I guess that was kind of a capitalism where. They were trying to capitalize on that and Manaya throwing the bullpen session. Just a weird scenario. So at least it was just a one-off yeah. thing because mm -hmm. that shouldn't happen regularly. But yeah, if Julian gets regular playing time and Polanco misses a lot of time, he's probably worth picking up. Yeah, I agree. Carlos Correa of the Twins is dealing with a muscle strain in the arch of his left foot in addition to plantar fasciitis in his heel. Manager Rocco Baldelli said, I think we get to Friday and some of our decisions might be made for us when asked if Correa would require a stint on the 10-day IL. He was in the lineup on Friday, so it seems like he won't need to go on the IL, and I guess he was right that some of the decisions were made for him. But he might still have to go on the IL. This is an injury that just doesn't go away. Plantar fasciitis keeps creeping up, and a muscle strain in the arch of your left foot. I don't know. It just seems very strange. He's not on the IL yet, but it's interesting because that leads us to Royce Lewis of the Twins, who will be eligible to return from the 60-day IL on Monday, May 29th. He's definitely going to get playing time, but this opens up a clear path for him if Correa misses any time. Lewis can play all over the field. He's only eligible at shortstop on Yahoo, but he could play third base with Jose Miranda being sent down or even play the outfield a little bit. 
In his minor league rehab assignment, Lewis is hitting 333 with three home runs and two stolen bases through six games. I think he's a big stash candidate if he's out there in your league. John, what do you think about Royce Lewis real quick if you have any thoughts about him and rostering him in fantasy? Yeah, I don't think the Twins are going to keep him in AAA. Once he's available to come off the 60 DIL, they're going to bring him up. Um, mainly because he's going to probably slot into that third base spot. Because um, right now they've been kind of filing like Willie Castro and Kyle Farmer at third base. Um, and it's not necessarily like a bad thing. Um, like Kyle Farmer's have a, had a decent season this year. Willie Castro's actually kind of turned around a little bit, has some speed. Um but Lewis is just clearly, he's mashing in AAA. He's stealing bases. He looks completely healthy. I mean, we did say that last year, and then he had a fluke, you know, run into the wall in center and then ended up tearing his other ACL, which kind of sucked. Um, but I don't think the Twins are going to keep him down in AAA, I think. For them, it makes it makes too much sense to bring him up to the majors um, and have that bat, have that speed on the bases, um, available in the roster. And so, yeah, I think he's, he's, I don't know if he's 12 team worthy yet. Like uh, I would maybe hold off on that. Uh, if you, if you really feel like you need someone, um, in like at, at shortstop or third base and you have, you know, say like a two utility, uh, sort of roster, he's maybe worth a shot in, in a 12, 12 teamer. Uh, but in, in 15 teamers, I think like he's definitely worth um, stashing if you've got a spot. Yeah, so I actually think that he will be usable in 12-team leagues too if he plays to his potential. I mean, he was showing some real big promise last season when he oh, was totally, yeah. mashing and then that ACL injury, obviously. So mm-hmm. it's great to see him back on track. He's doing really well in AAA, and I do think he's going to get playing time. I would much rather play Royce Lewis over Kyle Farmer or Willie Castro, mm-hmm. like you said. So. I think it's a big play. And just for reference for people out there that are listening, just like me in my 10-team league, it's a keeper league, so it's a little bit different. But my starting shortstops are either Matt McClain or Nico Horner. And both have been good, but I'll take the gamble on stashing Royce Lewis away, and maybe he performs great and he's my starting shortstop. So if you're in a scenario like that, like I am, Mm -hmm. maybe take a shot on Lewis because you never know what you're going to get. And the worst thing that can happen is he's bad and you drop him. And the best thing that could happen is he's amazing and you have your new shortstop. So right. I think Royce Lewis has some big potential for fantasy. If he could just stay on the field and get the playing time. O'Neill Cruz of the Pirates will be able to remove his walking boot within the next 10 to 14 days. He'll then begin regaining strength and range of motion in his surgically repaired left leg. Cruz fractured his fibula in early April, and the team said at the time they expected a four-month recovery period, which puts him in line to be back sometime in August, which is one of the reasons why my starting shortstops are Nico Horner and Matt McClain, because O'Neill Cruz went down. Anthony Rendon of the Angels is not expected to need a rehab assignment before returning says manager Phil Nevin. He's eligible to return on Friday, May 26th, but did not do so, so keep an eye out on Anthony Rendon. Giancarlo Stanton of the Yankees will not begin a minor league rehab assignment this weekend. He might be cleared to start one next week. Yankees pitching coach Matt Blake told Gary Phillips of the New York Daily News on Wednesday that Carlos Rodon, who's still out due to that back issue, was throwing 85 to 86 miles per hour while playing catch earlier this week. There isn't an official timetable for his return, but at least he's throwing without any issues and is continuing to ramp back up. Jacob deGrom of the Rangers threw a 32-pitch bullpen session on Monday. Manager Bruce Bochy said that it went really well. deGrom is still a few weeks away from any potential return. Speaking of returns, Tyler Glasnow of the Rays is listed as the Rays' probable pitcher for Saturday's game against the Dodgers. He's been out for the first two months of the season with an oblique injury. 
Glasnow was awesome during his rehab assignment, yielding just one run while posting a 20-5 K-to-walk ratio over 13.1 innings. He got his pitch count up to 67 in his final rehab outing, so he won't be available for a full workload on Saturday. I would guess about 70-75 to 75 pitches, but hey, at least he's returning. I'm sure all of the Glasnow rosterers are super excited about that. Tristan McKenzie of the Guardians will make his next minor league rehab start on Thursday for AAA Columbus. McKenzie threw 56 pitches on Sunday in his first rehab outing and could return sometime next week. He's been out since spring training due to a terrace major strain in his right shoulder. Cedric Mullins of the Orioles missed Thursday's game for personal reasons. Manager Brandon Hyde declined to elaborate further. Keep an eye on Mullins' status in the next few days, but he should ultimately be okay. Jose Alvarado of the Phillies is scheduled to throw another bullpen session on Saturday. He should progress to facing hitters next week in a live batting practice session before being cleared for a minor league rehab assignment. Alvarado should be ready sometime in early June. Danny Jansen of the Blue Jays was placed on the 10-day IL on Friday, May 26th with a left groin strain. Manny Machado of the Padres is unlikely to be ready to return this weekend. He's begun ramping up some baseball activities and hasn't been ruled out for a weekend return, but it doesn't look promising at the moment. Also, an absolute crazy, crazy fact about Manny Machado. John, did you know this? Manny Machado was placed on the 10-day IL last week. That's the first time that Machado has went on the IL since 2014. He hasn't wow. been on the IL since the name was changed from the DL to the IL. That's uh, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, I, that is really I, impressive. Yeah, that's um, that's like incredible health. <laughs> you know, like, that's like the Whit Merrifield thing where he was playing like every game for four years. Like, yeah, just having that sort of durability is so important to teams, and that's why Machado has so much value as well. So, right, that's super helpful. I mean, look at his career; he's been great. So. Yeah, big props to Machado. I cannot believe it. Like, he didn't know how to function when he got hurt. He was like, I can't mm-hmm. believe it. It's just broken. I, I can't play. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> like, he just never knew anything but playing baseball. So, yeah, pretty wild. Since 2014, nine years since the last time he was put on the IL. Ha Song Kim of the Padres was removed from Thursday's game after fouling a ball off of his left knee. X-rays came back negative for any structural damage. He's considered day-to-day for now. Jose Altuve of the Astros was removed from Tuesday's game in the middle of an inning while fielding due to illness. I think he just had to go to the bathroom, honestly, because it was really strange. He didn't look hurt or sick. Nothing happened in the field that inning to warn him coming out. Altuve did sit on Wednesday, so keep an eye on his status over the weekend. Maybe he had a really bad hangover or had to go to the bathroom or something. I don't know. Who knows, but Jose Altuve should be okay, hopefully. Clayton Kershaw of the Dodgers was activated from the bereavement list on Friday. He was mourning the loss of his mother, which is just terrible, so condolences to the Kershaw family. You'd have to think that's why he performed poorly in his last two starts. Some things are just bigger than baseball and pull your focus away from it, so hopefully the Kershaw family is doing all right. Julio Urias of the Dodgers will throw a bullpen session later this week. He's targeting an early June return. Urias has been out with a hamstring injury. Max Fried of the Braves started a throwing program on Thursday. He could rejoin the Braves' rotation sometime around the All-Star break. And last but not least, Michael Soroka of the Braves could make his 2023 debut on Sunday. That is where he'd be penciled in to start if he stays on a five-day schedule, but he could start on Monday or Tuesday for the Braves as well. He had his best start this season, Tuesday for AAA Gwinnett, allowing one run over six innings while striking out eight. 
I think Soroka is definitely worth a stash if he's out there in your league. You never know. Pitching's been so volatile this season, so if Soroka shows any promise, then he's only going to help your teams. But that wraps up the news from the last podcast. John, anything to add about this whole list? Uh, I mean, the one thing with class now to me is like every stuff metric loves class now. Oh yeah. Um, whether that's stuff plus from, you know, Saris or PLV from, from us here at pitcher list, like every, everyone loves that, uh, loves his, his, um, pitch mix. It's just, if he can stay healthy. So it's positive to see that he's the probable pitcher, especially after it felt like he had a setback a couple weeks ago Yep, he did. in his first, uh, rehab start. So yeah, that's kind of the one guy that I think, like, if you're in a league where there's limited aisle spots and someone was kind of, you know, just dropping glass now, he's he's probably worth a pickup at this point if you can do that. And then Soroka's, like, one of those guys where I always wish he would do well, and um, he just hasn't. So hopefully, hopefully he turns it around this season. Yeah, if Glasnow is out there in anyone's leagues, make sure you grab him. He should not be available anywhere. A lot of leagues already had him stashed or drafted and put away. So, yeah, right. if he's out there, go and grab him because he has infinite upside, like top 10 pitcher in baseball upside. So, yeah, grab Glasnow. Hopefully he can stay healthy and pitch more than like 80 innings this season. That'd only be good. And then also one last note, Jose Altuve was in the lineup on Friday. So it looks like he's A-OK. But before we get into the weekly performance recap, we will take a quick break, so stay tuned. Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom has created weight management programs that are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization, so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. So stop chasing health trends and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, we are back and it's time for the weekly performance recap, highlighting all of the performances from last week. John, what happened over the weekend? Yep, uh, we're going to start with Rafael Devers on Friday. Uh, went two for four with two home runs, two runs and four RBI. Another two-homer day for Devers, who's top 10 among qualified hitters in both home runs and RBI. He's been barreling the ball really well. He's also in the 97th percentile in hard contact rate. Really, the only, only knock against Devers is his walk rate. He's in the 14th percentile, but it's also not that much different from previous years. Um, but yeah, it's no surprise that his OBP is suffering as a result, which is kind of annoying for me because I have Devers in an OBP league. So that is what it is. Um <laughs> He is, however, dealing with a low BABIP. So as shocking as it might seem, uh, Devers might only get better as the season goes on. You know, that's obviously assuming regression to the mean, but uh, those things usually usually happen throughout the course of the season. On Saturday, George Springer of the Blue Jays went 2-4 for four with a home run, two runs, three RBI, a walk, and a stolen base. 
Springer's performance this season has been pretty dreadful when compared to his career statistics. The 33-year-old has not hit this poorly since his rookie year in Houston in 2014. Uh, he currently has a career-low slash line of 250, 318, and 380. Really, the one knock here is that low slugging. He is on pace to set a career high in steals, but that's kind of expected for a lot of players this season. Um, the, the slugging, though, the, the one thing interesting thing there is that if you look at PLV's power metric, it's back to being above in the 90th percentile among all eligible hitters. He's also well above average in terms of his hitter performance metrics. So even though the counting sets haven't been there, um, I think the underlying stats show that he still has the right approach at the plate. And we just need to wait for um, the counting stats to catch up to what his expected stats are. And then finally, Corey Seager on Sunday went through a five with a double, a homer, two runs, and three RBI. Welcome back, Corey Seager. After dealing with a hamstring injury for the last month, Seager returned last week on Wednesday. And he's looked like his normal self uh, against the Rockies, going seven for 13, two homers, and seven, time, seven RBIs over the entire series. We'll need to see how he settles in for the next few weeks and if he can maintain these ridiculous ratios. Um, obviously, he's benefited by the fact that he hasn't played that many games, uh, but I believe he's like in the top 10 um, in terms of like batting average OBP and slugging right now. So yeah, it's kind of nice. So I love Rafael Devers. He's amazing. He's tied for seventh in the league in home runs and he's fourth in RBI. So he's just producing constantly right now for mm -hmm. fantasy purposes and you just got to love it. He's so clutch. He won me a league. I keep saying it, but he's just the best. I love Rafi Devers. George Springer, if he's healthy, he's great, but he's been kind of struggling to start the season, and he's picked it up as of late, so it's nice to yeah. see he's getting back on it. And then Corey Seager, it's just good to see him healthy. I mean, honestly, he might be right up there as one of the best hitters for fantasy purposes if he didn't start the season hurt. So mm -hmm. really hoping that Corey Seager can right the ship and make up for lost time because he is phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, moving on to pitchers, we have Michael Kopech of the White Sox went up against the Royals, got a win, uh, pitched eight innings, zero runs, one hit, no walks, and 10 strikeouts. Uh, Kopech hit one hit the Royals, like I mentioned, and he had one of his best performances on the fastball, which earned 15 whiffs alone, blowing by batters at kind of 96, 97 miles an hour. The secondaries were also there. The slider had contributed five whiffs. Um, the other ones weren't as great, but, you know, for a guy who throws, I think it's like 70% fastball, um, you get anything from your second days, it's probably pretty nice. Uh, he also performed pretty well against the Guardians on Wednesday, and as a sneak peek, he'll be on the streamers list for his upcoming starts. Uh, on Saturday, Logan Webb of the Giants went up against Miami, got a no decision. Six innings, zero and runs, four hits, two walks, and seven strikeouts. The big news here is that Webb might have a new slider. Um, it got five whiffs, um, and it gained three inches of horizontal movement. Um, Alex Fast has a tweet on that. Um, but Ido Saris of The Athletic actually said that Webb was near giddy about this new slider grip. So let's hope it leads to more success for Webb. And then on Sunday, Framber Valdez of the Astros going up against the A's went nine innings, zero and runs, four hits, no walks, and seven strikeouts for a complete game shutout. Of course, the strikeout numbers aren't exactly what you were hoping for, but it's Framber. What'd you expect? He's not exactly a strikeout and inning guy. Um, this was actually a pretty weird start because he got 22 called strikes on his sinker, but no whiffs. Uh, but that's kind of nice because when you face the A's, you could probably chuck 100 pitches down the middle and they might just hit them all for ground balls. <laughs> um, it worked here for Framber as the A's had 23 balls in play and they couldn't do anything with them. Yeah, so I have a funny story about Michael Kopech, but I'm going to save that for a little bit later because I'll mention him in a little bit. But 
yeah, I have a funny story with that. Logan Webb, very interesting with the new slider, something to watch for sure. If Eno Saris is saying something, he's an extremely smart individual. So I'm pretty excited about that. If you roster Logan Webb, maybe some great things to come. And then Framber, he's just quietly one of the best pitchers in the league, and he's just getting better and better. And yeah, this is a weird one. That sinker getting zero whiffs is hysterical, especially with 22 called strikes. But that's just the athletics, right? Like that's just going to happen against a team that's a quad A team pretty much right yeah <laughs> we were joking. might even be generous <laughs> oh yeah oh definitely oh definitely generous <laughs> we were actually joking my whole league is like who's framber because <laughs> they critically underrate him on yahoo oh sure, he was yeah. like the ninth best pitcher meanwhile his stats were like the equivalent of the second best pitcher <laughs> so mm-hmm. we're like who's framber valdez he's a nobody just trade him away like why do you even <laughs> care about this guy who is this guy <laughs> yeah I mean, he, he, if you lead the league in quality starts, that usually means that you're doing a pretty good job in every other category. Oh, yeah, big time. I mean, he's a quality start guru at this point after last season's display. Mm-hmm. But moving on to Monday, May 22nd, from the Hitting Recap article by Jonathan Metzelar, we start with J.D. Martinez of the Dodgers. He went 4-for-5 four with two home runs, three runs, and two RBI. Up until about a week ago, Martinez was borderline droppable in 12-team leagues. He's got a career-high K percentage and whiff rate right now. And the big problem for Martinez is been hitting fastballs. He just can't hit them at the moment. Recently, though, he's been putting the ball in the air a bit more than usual, as well as hitting the ball harder than he has in the last five years. Something clicked for him as of late, and this game is proof of it. He's also listed as a buy in 10-team leagues in the latest buy and sell article from pitcherless writer Ben Pernick. Which might be a good idea, especially in OBP leagues. J.D. Martinez maybe can show a former shade of himself. Next, we have Lourdes Gurriel Jr. of the Diamondbacks, who went 4-for-4 four four with a double, a homer, a run, and two RBI. I was a big fan of his in fantasy when he was on the Blue Jays and had second base and outfield eligibility on Yahoo. He was a guy who could hit 20-25 to 25 homers, give you five stolen bases, a 280 average at second base, which was beautiful at the time because there wasn't much production there. Over the last 15 games, Gurriel Jr. has a 404, 469, 825 triple slash line with six home runs and 13 RBI in that span. This is textbook Gurriel, though. He's notorious for having extreme hot streaks and then long cold streaks. Gurriel also tends to have some of the best Septembers you've ever seen. It was usually a joke around my home league where once it was September 1st, we all raced to pick him up. You have to ride Gurriel while he's hot. And right now, he's hot. So grab him if he's out there. And then lastly, I just wanted to give some shine from Monday to lesser-talked-about players. Whit Merrifield of the Blue Jays went 4-for-4 four four with a home run, a run, and two RBI. He's on pace to steal over 30 bases and hit around 8 homers, which is very serviceable in fantasy. And then Paul DeYoung of the Cardinals went 2-for-5 with a double, a homer, a run, and four RBI, who's been great since returning to the Cardinals. I'll be completely honest, I forgot that J.D. Martinez was on the Dodgers. <laughs> um, but... It's interesting that he's like a pickup in even 10-team leagues because I usually associate, you know, 10-teamers with like, you know, three outfielders. But if it's like a five-outfielder roster with two utility, like, yeah, go ahead, pick up J.D. Martinez. Um, He's such a hot and cold hitter that, like, you could easily drop him as soon as he starts um, being terrible. But um, once he gets going, he gets going really well. I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking about two years ago, the second half of J.D. Martinez' season, he was on fire. Oh, yeah. Uh, for like a good, like, two months. So, yeah, if, if he's getting back in the swing of things, no no pun intended, like, um, yeah, that could be a, a fun pickup for, for your rosters. 
Yeah, it's funny. Monday was like the day of the hot and cold streak guys. Martinez, Guriel <laughs> with Merrifield, Paul DeYoung. Yeah. It's all guys that just kind of have up and down months. <laughs> it's kind of impressive that um, that guys like that still have fantasy relevance because like it feels like with Merrifield, like as soon as he went to Canada, like no one cared about him. Yeah, that's true, to be honest. I mean, a lot of people disrespected him in drafts this season, and rightfully so. He wasn't that great last season, but he's still serviceable, especially with the stolen base changes. So, yeah, I think Merrifield is definitely serviceable for this season, and he was kind of slept on. But moving on to pitchers from Monday from the SP Roundup article, Ortiz the Day by Nick Pollock. Pitching was not great on Monday. Most pitchers got rocked. Corbin Burns gave up five earned runs. Jordan Montgomery gave up four earned runs. Lorenzen and Singer, who were popular streamer options, gave up five earned runs each. It was just not great. But we start with Luis Ortiz, the title boy of the Pirates. He went 7.2 innings pitched with two earned runs, five hits, two walks, and four strikeouts against the Rangers. I feel like the Shaq meme here, I owe you an apology. I wasn't really familiar with your game. <laughs> the only thing I really knew about Ortiz was that according to Eno Saris's Stuff Plus model, it loves him. So that's all I really knew. But Nick even mentioned in the roundup that he sees him as a P's, which stands for poor execution, awesome stuff. This was a great start against the Rangers for Ortiz. Only 4Ks is a little underwhelming, especially because it went 3 for 50 on whiffs, which is not good. It comes in at 96 to 97 miles per hour, but it's poorly located and hit hard when it's left over the plate. With Velasquez coming back soon, Ortiz might get one more go in the rotation, but I think we have to see more from him anyways before we make him anything but a streamer. Then we have Hunter Gaddis of the Guardians, who went six innings pitched, no earned runs, two hits, one walk, four strikeouts against the White Sox. Gaddis got another chance in the rotation due to Peyton Battenfield on the mend, and he took advantage of the opportunity. Once again, an underwhelming 4Ks like Ortiz, but the whiffs were a little better, returning 7 out of 37 on the fastball. You'll always take a 6-inning, 0-earn run performance from a pitcher, especially when it's from a streamer like Gaddis. He gets the Cardinals next, though, and I'd probably stay away from that one, so yeah, probably not use Gaddis against the Cardinals there. And then last but not least, Luis Castillo of the Mariners. He went six innings pitched, no earned runs, four hits, two walks, and eight strikeouts against the Athletics. Ace is going to ace with a gallows pole against the A's. Just easy work. And it's infuriating that every time someone goes down for the Guardians that, um, oh yeah, they, I've got this other guy who can uh, pitch six shutout innings. Um, <laughs> and then now Tristan McKenzie's like on, on the way back. So that, that rotation, man, they... They know how to coach their guys and how to have uh, how to have them return good performances. Yeah, they sure do. Well, moving on to Tuesday, we have the Daily Hitting Recap article from Mark Stubinger. Uh, starting with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. of the Blue Jays, of course, three for six with a homer, a run, and six RBI. I feel like we haven't really talked too much about the first first baseman taken in most drafts this season. And frankly, that's just because Vlad's been all right. He's 15th in RBI. He's got eight homers on the season. Slash shine's been fine. It's not necessarily first-round talent quality, but he hasn't been hurting your teams either. He's leading the league in a hard contact rate, though, so it's a little surprising that he hasn't hit more homers. Still, the offense is incredibly high-octane around him. It's only going to offer more RBI opportunities as the season continues, uh, and so look for that hard contact to eventually translate into actual counting stats. And then Matt Mervis of the Cubs, uh, two for three with a home run, two runs, three RBI, and a walk. Uh, fun fact, Mervis is actually older than Vlad. Uh, wow. So the promising, yeah, the promising first baseman 
which is kind of funny to say because, well, Vlad's younger. So um, <laughs> he has struggled in his first 16 games of the majors. He's only batting 211. Strikeout rate's pretty poor, too, 32%, which is almost double his rate in the minors. Um, he had a lot more uh, ability in the minors in, in terms of um, strikeout rate and being able to see the ball well. But I think that's expected for for a rookie. He is barreling the ball super well, though. He's got a good hard contact rate as well, both, I think, in kind of that 70 to 80 percentile range. So he's he's holding his own, at least in terms of how hard he's hitting the ball and, and being able to get to the sweet spot. Um, so there's definitely positives in his makeup. Um, he had a pretty decent day on Tuesday and looks to be the everyday first baseman for the Cubs for the time being. So if you're looking for a guy who's got some potential and you've got a spot available, uh, maybe take a look at Matt Mervis. So with Vlad Jr., I'm actually so mad about this performance. I am against him in my home league. <laughs> and the reason why I'm mad is not because the stat line is incredible. It's because how he got to that stat line, mm-hmm. the Rays put out Luke Rayleigh on the mound, who is a position yep. player, and Vlad Jr. Yep. hit a grand slam off of the position player. Right. So that one kind of hurt me, especially going in a head-to-head league. So, yeah, that was not very fun. But, hey, Vlad is that good, so he might have hit the grand slam anyway. But not great for me, but great for Vlad. So good to see that from him. And Matt Mervis, yeah, it's pretty crazy that he was so hyped to begin this season but was blocked by Eric Hosmer. But now that he's Mm -hmm. DFA'd, Mervis has all of the room to run. So hopefully he'll be able to play and perform well like he was supposed to when he was hyped up this spring. Yeah, it, Vlad is so interesting here because, I mean, even talking, I think, preseason, you and I felt you would probably take Vlad over every other first baseman, right? Even even probably Pete Alonso. Like, the, Vlad was the smart move there. But now going into the season, I feel like this, ha- this happened the last two seasons with Vlad where it's like super hyped, pre-draft, and then like when the season comes, he's like, eh, he's all right. Yeah, I agree with that a lot because Vlad is always very hyped. And I think that's just what you get when you have the name Guerrero. You know what I mean? Like you expect big things from that regardless. He's a super uber prospect. So yeah, Mm -hmm. you expect big things from Vlad. But going into the season, I would have definitely drafted him as the first first baseman off the board. Yeah. But it's hard to argue that like Pete Alonso shouldn't go before him now. I mean, even... Going into the season, you should have argued Pete Alonso could be the number one overall first baseman. Like, yeah, it was it was actually kind of surprising how low Pete Alonso was going in some of these drafts. Yeah, it's wild. I mean, I think it was last season where Olsen was going way higher than Alonso a season ago in drafts, and Alonso had an incredible season. And then it flip-flopped where Olsen was going way later than Alonso this season, and now Olsen is having a great season, but Alonso is too, so... It's just crazy how the first base position is so volatile in drafts. Like you still have those like mainstays, like um, Freddie Freeman. Obviously, has been playing his 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 lights out. Gold, Goldie's been really really solid. Um, it it's so interesting though. Every year, I think with first base, like if you're if you're like me and you like drafting at the tail end of the first round in, in some of these redraft snake leagues, like it's very tempting to not take one of these top tier first basemen. Um, and I always wonder, I mean, uh, draft, draft strategy is, you know, long gone at this point. It's, you know, it's a two month old topic, but it's, I always wonder whether it's worth it to take a first baseman that early. It's a good discussion to have. Maybe we should have that on the podcast one day is like looking over drafts and seeing what an yeah. ideal makeup would be, you know, like, is it smart to wait at first base? Is it good to grab aces early? Like it's good to do that research. Yeah, exactly. Well, speaking of aces, we have basically the new ace on the block with Nathan Eovaldi. Uh, 
of course, of the Rangers facing against the Pirates. Went nine innings, one earned run, six hits, one walk, and five strikeouts. Honestly, just let the hype train continue because Eovaldi's been dealing. He's got a 2.6 ERA and a .97 whip on the season. There aren't really a ton of reasons besides negative regression that we could point to that would, that would indicate this isn't real. The only thing that might be an indication is that Eovaldi is still giving up a lot of hard contact. However, he does have a high ground ball rate. Um, I was trying to find some of these stats yesterday while looking through Eovaldi. Um, he does He is giving up more hard contact fly balls than ground balls. But I think it's like 30 or 40% of those hard hits are going straight into the ground. So even though he is giving up a lot of hard, hard contact, a lot of it ends up not being effective hard contact, so to speak. So Uvalde, like the only reason you would have to not believe in him is just that, oh, he just, you know, becomes average, which maybe this season he's, he's figured out something or he's just, you know, on one. Um, that's sometimes, that's sometimes all, the, all you need to believe in a guy. Uh, Jose Barrios of the Blue Jays uh, went up against Tampa Bay in that game that we talked about. Uh, the reason why they brought out Luke Rayleigh was because Barrios had a great game himself, um, and so the Rays couldn't do anything against him. Uh, seven innings, one earned run, five hits, two walks, and five strikeouts. We've reached that part of the season where Barrios starts to play well. Um, it's somewhat impressive given that his ERA and whip um, are above average or quality for qualified starters. But he also gave up like some absolute duds at the beginning of the season. Everyone was saying drop Rios. He doesn't have it anymore. Out of his 10 starts, though, he's only given up more than three runs three times. Now, that doesn't mean he's had seven quality starts. He still hasn't really gone to six in a lot of those. Um, but when your team's offense is headlined by guys like Vlad Jr. and Bo Bichette, um, they can easily score more than three runs. And more often than not, Rios uh, can get a win in those situations. So... We'll see if this sort of sticks for the great undulator. Of course, being the great undulator, it's probably not going to stick. Um, but having a good performance against the hottest offense in baseball is uh, something to really build off on. So Evaldi is just, wow, he is unbelievable at the moment. And it's crazy to think that the Rangers staff is starting to look really, really good. And yep. obviously we had that penciled in after they made all of the signings of DeGrom, Evaldi, Gray, Heaney. They really built their rotation from the ground up this offseason. But the main concern was health, and obviously DeGrom is on the shelf. Eovaldi yep. is known to get hurt, but he's been healthy, which is great because he's performing so well. John Gray isn't the symbol of health either. Heaney is definitely not the symbol of health. So if they can all stay healthy, this rotation is insanely good. And John Gray has figured out some things as of late. Eovaldi looks to have figured out some things. So it's great to see that the guys they invested in are pitching well if they're not hurt. <laughs> so mm -hmm. at least it's all going according to plan in Texas. But yeah, you have all the incredible performance here. Obviously, the Pirates are not the best offense. Only five strikeouts kind of stinks. But man, you can't argue with you have all these 260 ERA and under one whip. I mean, that's just a status right there. And then Jose Barrios. Yeah, we never know what we're going to get from him. He's been really good, though, as of late. And you yeah. probably should have a little bit more faith in him going into the starts because like you said people were dropping him people were just discounting him writing him off I mean he was going really late in drafts as well so mm -hmm. yeah I think he just needs a little bit more credit I think just sure he's very volatile you never know what you're gonna get but hey he's pitching well right now and that's what matters All right and you can just drop him if he starts pitching poorly <laughs> yep there is no risk there you could just get rid of him if he does anything that you don't like 
But moving on to Wednesday, May 24th, from the Daily Hitting Recap article by Jim Chatterton, we start with Francisco Alvarez of the Mets, who went 2-for-3 with a home run, run, and 2 RBI. Alvarez hit an absolute bomb into the wind at Wrigley Field for what would be the only two runs that the Mets scored against Marcus Stroman. He's hit three home runs in his last four games, and fun fact, as noted by Jim, the last time a 21-year-old catcher hit six home runs in a season was Joe Maurer. So, a little twins to Mets love for John and I, but I've heard a lot of rumors about Alvarez's playing time because Omar Narvaez is coming back soon, Nito just came back, so there's a lot of things that are going on. I know Gary Sanchez was just DFA'd, but I've heard from sources on Twitter that some pitchers of the Mets staff would be quote-unquote furious if Alvarez was sent down or lost playing time. The staff really loves throwing to him, and he's been great defensively. And then the lineup love having him in it because he gives them energy, and he's been doing so well. So, yeah, I don't see why he would lose any playing time or should get sent down at all. He's clearly the best option. I really hope Alvarez can run with this because he could be a top-five catcher in no time. So, if Alvarez is out there, I think now might be the time to take a shot on him. Obviously, once Narvaez comes back, the playing time will be more of a thing that we can predict. But until then, we just kind of have to scratch our heads and hope for the best. And then Matt McLean of the Reds went 2-for-5 with a double, a homer, two runs, and an RBI. As we mentioned a little earlier, McLean has been pretty good to start his career. He has a 281, 378, 594 slash line in 37 plate appearances, and he crushed his second homer in back-to-back games. He could definitely be a 2020 candidate, and you should pick him up if you need help at shortstop. I just don't know how Alvarez is worse than Narvaez or Nito. Agreed. <laughs> you know, like, agreed. It doesn't make any sense for him to be sent down when he's like. He's mashing, like you mentioned. He's better disciplined at the plate. Like everything, insta- everything seems to indicate he's the best option at catcher. Um, so yeah, him being sent down would just be incredible. Um, Mets go to Mets, I guess. Um, yeah, and McLean, he's he's clearly producing. So if you have an open spot and you need help, yeah, definitely check that out. Yeah, Alvarez has also been really good defensively, and he's been producing at the plate, so there's no reason why Narvaez or Nito should eat his playing time. The worst I can see is Alvarez plays against lefties, Narvaez plays against righties, and Nito is mm-hmm. a defensive replacement or goes to the minors or something, but yeah, Alvarez should be getting the majority of the playing time. He's just that good. But moving on to the pitchers from Wednesday, we have the SP Roundup article from Nick Pollock, The Threads of Raggedy Ann. We start with Shane McClanahan of the Rays. He went seven innings pitched, one earned run, four hits, no walks, seven strikeouts against the Blue Jays. Ace is going to ace. His curveball returned a ridiculous 50% CSW against the Jays. McClanahan only threw 82 pitches in this one as well, so he could have easily thrown a complete game, but the Rays will, of course, be the Rays. Bryce Miller of the Mariners went six innings pitched with no earned runs, two hits, one walk, and six strikeouts against the Athletics. That's five straight quality starts to start off Bryce Miller's young career. His four-seamer is so good. It's like Joe Ryan-esque, but he throws it three to four miles per hour faster than Joe Ryan. Sure, his opponents have been Oakland twice and the Tigers once, but he also went up against the Astros and the Braves, and he dominated them too. I was listening to some interview that Miller did, I forget where it was from, and he mentioned something along the lines of he hasn't really had to throw anything else but his fastball because it keeps working and the league hasn't figured it out yet. So he's aware that he's been fastball heavy and he's ready and willing to mix it up more, but when the fastball is that good, 
why do anything else right now? It makes no sense to switch things up when what you have is working. If it's not broke, don't fix it, right? And it makes me feel even worse because when he got called up, he was against the Athletics. And in my home league, I was choosing a streamer. And it was between Bryce Miller against the Athletics, a prospect that was not very highly touted and just only really had a fastball and not too many great things about him. Or Hayden Wesneski against the Nationals. Now, I picked up Wesneski, of course. He got a quality start against the Nats. He only had like two strikeouts, but I was happy with it. And, well, Bryce Miller's only one of the best pitchers in baseball over his last five starts. So, pretty bad pick on my part. But, yeah, that's kind of rough for me, but Bryce Miller's been great. And, as John mentioned on the Friday performances, Michael Kopech of the White Sox had a great start against the Guardians, going seven innings pitched, no earned runs, two hits, one walk, and nine strikeouts. Just a great start again, back-to-back for Kopech. Now, I said I had a story, and here's the story real quick. Last week, in my home league, it's always home league I talk about. It's the most fun, and I'm the most interactive there, of course. But in my home league, the person I was against streamed Michael Kopech against me. Dominated. Eight innings, ten strikeouts. I got obliterated by Michael Kopech. Well, because of the way his week was going, he only really had one person to drop, and that was Michael Kopech. So he dropped Michael Kopech after his start and continue to stream other guys. Well, this week, against my opponent, on Monday, he picked up Michael Kopech. So in back-to-back weeks, Michael Kopech lit me up as a streamer for two different teams. So, yeah, really not fun being me right now in my head-to-head league, because Michael Kopech is torching me on all fronts. Yeah, uh, man, when he's on, like, he, he has those shades of those, like, of being that top prospect, right? Um it's just uh he's so inconsistent so it's harder to trust him um but yeah i also the fun thing about bryce miller was that there was a start i think it was his debut start um he was going up against mason miller yep and um i picked up mason miller over bryce miller and uh, uh. of course regarding that decision and you know ever since so just, uh, just know that I'm with you in solidarity and that, that pain. Yeah, you chose the wrong Miller and I chose the wrong pitcher. So, <laughs> not <laughs> great. <laughs> yeah. Well, moving on to Thursday, we have the hit a recap article from Jonathan Metzlar. Uh, we're going to start off with Austin Riley, though. He had, he went two for five with two runs, two homers, and three RBI. Uh, it was a slugfest in Truist Park on Thursday with Riley, Marcelo Zuna, Alec Bohm, and Bryce Harper all hitting homers. But Riley stole the show as the only one with multiple. His two were absolute lasers, both over 110-mile-an-hour line drives. He might not be having the follow-up season that everyone was expecting after nearly hitting 40 homers last year, but he's still a decent contributor in pretty much all categories except steals. Michael Conforto of the Giants went 4-for-4 four four with a homer, a run, an RBI, a walk, and a stolen base. He's been quietly having a great season. This four-hit game brought his average to 239. His OVP is now 339, and he has 11 homers, 28 runs, 25 RBI, and two stolen bases to boot. He's creeping back into roster territory for three outfielder leagues and shallower 10 and 12 team leagues, especially if you are in an OVP format. Remember, Conforto was a top prospect. He had a great run from 2017 to 2019, hitting 27, 28, and then 33 homers, respectively. I'd grab him if you need help in the outfield right now. And then with another outfielder who's been hot, Jorge Soler of the Marlins went through for five with a homer, two runs, and two RBIs while facing the Rockies. He had seven games this week, four of them at cores, which is pretty nice, and he was facing predominantly left-handed pitching. It's worked out pretty well for him. He could go cold at any moment. That's why Jorge Soler is not more rostered. But when he's hot, his counting stats can be up there with some of the best, 
with his 18% barrel rate. He currently has 15 homers and 32 RBI at the moment. He should be rostered everywhere now, but if he's not in your league, pick him up as soon as possible. Yeah, all of my friends that asked me for advice about fantasy was asking me about some pickups last week, and I said, grab Jorge Soler. He's facing a bunch of lefties. He mashes against left-handed pitching, and he's got four games at core. So, like, Brian De La Cruz was very serviceable, and Jorge yep. Soler was the big target for me. So, yeah, that manager that grabbed Jorge Soler is thanking me graciously over the past few days because he's been dominating. He's so good when he's hot, but like John said, he could go cold at any moment. If he goes cold, you just drop him, but hey, he's been very good, and right now, ride the hot streak. I have him in a 15-team league in TGFBI. I have him in a 12-team league on NFBC, so I'm riding Soler nonstop because he's been incredible. And then Michael Conforto, I'm so sad that he's still not a Met because he would fit on this team perfectly. Mark Hanna or Daniel Vogelbach can go somewhere else, and Conforto could be on the team, but I digress. Conforto's just been really good. If he is out there, definitely consider grabbing him. He's not having a blow-your-mind sort of season, but he's been very good at a position that's pretty shallow. So if you need help in the outfield, Conforto is definitely a shout. And then Austin Riley, it's good to see him getting back on track. Fun fact, before going into this game, he had three home runs off of Aaron Nola already in his career, and then he added two more to it. So he's got five home runs against Nola, and whenever he faces Nola next, I'm betting that Riley hits a homer because those numbers are just video game type. So I was scared going into the matchup as someone who rosters Nola. And yeah, it didn't work out too well. <laughs> he just has his number apparently. Yeah, clearly. Yeah. Well, moving on to pitchers, we're going to start with Kyle Gibson of the Orioles who went up against the Yankees. Seven innings, two hits, no earned runs, four walks, and three strikeouts. Kyle Gibson just keeps doing Kyle Gibson things, including turning in a great start against the Yankees. Sure, the strikeout rate's taken a massive dip. He's inconsistent as usual because he limited the Jays to one run last week, but then he also gave up six runs to the hapless Royals earlier this month. You truly don't know what to get when you start Gibby, but more often than not, it does turn into a decent start. He currently has six quality starts on the season, uh, so good for him. Miles Michaelis of the Cardinals went up against the Reds. Seven innings, five hits, no earned runs, zero walks, and five strikeouts. The Lizard King just turned in his third straight quality start and is trying to get a bit of relevance in the fantasy world. Alas, Michaelis has struggled to get to six innings this season, and on a team like the Cardinals that is not exactly generating a lot of wins or run support right now, it's actually more surprising that his record is only just 2-1 um, and not a bigger deficit. Just a lot of no decisions for Michaelis. Funny enough, if you take out the first three starts of the season, he has a much more respectable 2.9 ERA, although it still comes with a 1.21 whip. Yeah, Kyle Gibson's just a head-scratcher, man. He's a mystery. You know what you're going to get from him, but how does he just go back-to-back -back starts against the Blue Jays and the Yankees on the road and pitch seven yep. innings and get quality starts? Like, what is going on? Yeah, you know what you're going to get from him, but you don't know who it's coming against. So. Right. Yeah, that's the hard part, man. You'll stream him against Detroit, and he'll get absolutely plastered. And you'll be like, what happened here? And then you'll <laughs> put him against the Blue Jays, and he pitches a complete game, and you're like, uh-huh. It just right, doesn't yeah. make any sense for Kyle Gibson. So you just mm -hmm. keep throwing him out there, and if he's getting the results, then, hey, good for you. And then Miles Michaelis, we mentioned him, I feel like, a lot because he either has really horrible starts or really good starts, <laughs> and we like yeah. highlighting both. So <laughs> I feel like we talk about Michaelis quite a lot, but rightfully so. Like, when he's good, this is what he can do, and this is what you want to see out of him, going six, seven innings, getting close to a strikeout per inning, keeping the ERA and whip down, 
and just yep. getting you quality starts. That's exactly what you want out of Michaelis. Something like a Merrill Kelly, a Adam Wainwright back in his heyday. You just want quality starts, and Michaelis is a great source of those. And then also Alex Fajardo, the Tigers, I wanted to mention. He went six innings pitched, two earned runs, three hits, no walks, and 10 strikeouts against the White Sox. I wouldn't rush to pick up Fajardo, but he was a first-round pick in 2017 that currently has a 0.74 whip. He seems a bit volatile and gets the Rangers next, so I wouldn't trust it. But definitely put Fajardo on your watch list team if he's out there. And if he keeps putting up good numbers, maybe you can use him as more than a streamer. But for now, he's just a streamer against bad matchups. And it sucks because one of the bad matchups would be against the Tigers, but he's on that team. So, yeah, it's unfortunate. It is, yeah, it is what it is. Fajardo, um, uh, he was also the title person for uh, Nick's article today. So um, there's definitely a lot of hype behind him, but... Yeah, he doesn't get a lot of run support on that team either, so it's a little tough. Yeah, he definitely does not. But we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll be joined by pitcherless writer Nate Kosher to talk about his article, Flying Heim, is Jonas Heim Breakout for Real? Stay tuned. And we're back and joined by pitcherless writer Nate Kosher. Nate, it's your first time on the show. Welcome to the show. How's everything going with you? Good. Thanks a lot, guys, uh, for having me on. It is our pleasure. Now, before we get into your article, tell us a little bit more about yourself, like what team you're a fan of or how long you've been playing fantasy baseball for. Sure. So I've been playing fantasy baseball probably for upwards of 15 years, maybe close to 20 years. A lot of different formats. Uh, started out in a lot of Yahoo free leagues, you know, just to get my feet wet. And I moved up from there doing every different format, dynasty, redraft, etc. Uh, in real life baseball, fan of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Ooh. Even though I, I do reside here in Minnesota, um, I sort of adopted them in the late 90s, and then that, that worked out well right away. <laughs> and hopefully they're starting to get back. Wow, you switched up on John. Do you hear that, John? Could have been a Twins <laughs> fan here. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't alive during the championship season, so I I mean, I'm just been, I've just been living on almost 30 years of pain and misery but um it, it probably wasn't a bad yeah. idea to switch in the late 90s when the twins were about <laughs> to get contracted and everyone thought that they were going to be leaving anyways 30 yeah, years of misery were, sounds like a most fan <laughs> lean years lean years yeah oh man i mean hey i don't blame you for going for the dimebacks they're exciting right now corbin carroll one of my favorite players right now just awesome there you guys got a lot of promise over there in arizona so not a bad team to root for i don't blame you one bit but we're going to talk about your article, which you wrote pretty recently. Flying Heim is Jonah Heim's breakout for real. It is a great read. I suggest everybody listening, please go and read it. But we're going to talk a little bit more about it. So we'll start off. You said in the article, Heim spent a lot of time paying his dues in the minors before finally making it to the majors in 2020. What was his makeup as a prospect? Yeah, so he kind of had an interesting uh, trail or journey, I guess you could say, to make it to the majors. So he was actually more well-known for his defensive skills right away. Uh, that was sort of his calling card with his fielding skills and his arm as a catcher defensively. So he bounces around. He was drafted by the Orioles, bounces around the minors to a few different teams. Then he lands in Oakland, and that's when started, uh, things started to really click for him. And when I was researching for the podcast, it was actually after I wrote the article, but apparently uh, in Oakland, he worked a lot with Bob Melvin, who himself was a former catcher, and that's when things started to click with him for hitting. 
Uh, and that's when he started to kind of turn things around. So he's a, a big guy, he's 6'4", 220, but really was, I would say, an okay hitter, uh, maybe with some plus on-base percentage was his best offensive skill. But then, like I said, things started to click. Uh, he started to blossom, cut down on the strikeouts, started to improve contact and power, and then he ends up in Texas in 2021. And last year, uh, kind of comes on the scene a little bit with 16 home runs, and then of course this year explodes. So a long journey for him to kind of find a home, but now it seems like he's found that place. Yeah, it's nice to see him playing well. It's really nice to have like a switch hitting catcher. I think that's such a big skill, especially for fantasy, where no matter what the matchup is, it's not like he's going to be really bad against righties or lefties. So it's nice to see that his bat is kind of evening out and taking that next leap up because he really became a mainstay for the catcher position at the moment. Yes, definitely. And that's a good thing to mention. The switch hitting, you know, an underrated feature and as a catcher, sort of rare. So that's another thing he's offered. And he's been a switch hitter, you know, for the length of his career. Right. Yeah, it's also nice that he doesn't exactly have a ton of competition at the catcher position in Texas, just with Mitch Garver kind of more serving as the DH in, in, in Texas and occasional spells at, at the catcher for sure. But right. Um, yeah, no, no worries about someone taking his job there. Um, so this is clearly Heim's best season by far. If you look at any offensive metric, like it's, it's basically a career year for him so far through, through 50 ish games. Um, one thing you do point to in this article about, you know, what's, what's been different for Heim this season has been his swing adjustments. Um, what do you see there that maybe indicates that the success, um, this season is, is sustainable? Sure. So. Basically, Haim, you know, he had, like I said, he had some success last season, but during the offseason, he sort of did a deep dive on his swing and went back, looked through his swings and, and his approach in different aspects, you know, both sides of the plate. Where was he making contact? What was he doing well? Where did he need to improve? And he concluded he needed to use his lower body more. So obviously, you know, a lot of your power comes from your lower body no matter what sport you're playing, and especially as you're swinging the baseball bat. So this year, he's focused on not moving his feet as much and having a strong base. And he actually used the, the word grounded, so literally being more grounded uh, in, you know, with his feet. So I was, as I was researching the article, I noticed in the past, he'd sort of lift his back foot, and there was a lot more movement. This year, you know, it, it looks subtle if you're just watching it in real time, but he's using a bit more of a wide stance and then keeping that back foot rooted into the ground. And so obviously some subtle uh, footwork changes, but things that once players figure them out could really start clicking for him. And it seems like that in the combination with the wider stance or power, he's really starting to... That's a great point with the staying grounded and just like having your legs underneath you. Because like you said, most of your power comes from that. And to relate it to bowling for me, which is something that I do, is that when I was a kid, I had no power or speed behind my shot at all. And once I learned to really bend and stay down at the line and really have my feet underneath me, I generated power that you wouldn't think someone that looks like me can generate. And 
it really has a lot to do with that lower body. So it's good to see that he made a change like that that actually resulted in him performing better at the plate because I know personally from sports in general that if you have your legs underneath you and you can kind of generate that power stance, it really helps a ton. Definitely. Yeah, like a, a tackle in football, making a tackle, you know, coming up, tackling the running back or like in basketball, jumping, just trying to jump high Right in basketball or general. You know, if you're on your tippy toes or kind of off kilter, you're not going to get as much power. So uh, something I guess it seems elementary for a major league player, but, you know, as these guys play season after season, things can get a little out of whack. So it, it seems like he's figured out what works for him. And you would think as a catcher who's someone who bends down for the entire time they're playing the game, they would bend at the plate too, right? Like <laughs> they should stay grounded at the plate if they're staying grounded in the field. Good point. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but in the article, you also point to an improved approach at the plate. Could you go into a bit more detail on what Haim is doing different this season than others? Yeah. So another thing he mentioned, uh, actually, publicly, he's talked about how he's playing with more confidence this season. So... That's due to those improvements we just talked about, but also an improved approach at the plate. So he's been a bit more patient this season, not taking as many first pitch swings, but overall making it count and taking actually a higher percentage of swings. But what we're really seeing uh, in the difference with him this year is how he faces different types of pitches. So a lot more of a complete hitter and he's made huge progress on uh, fastballs and breaking balls. So I just have a couple of stats here to pull out quickly. So in 2022, uh, he hit 236 overall pitchers threw him a fastball. This season, that's jumped to 244. So a nice improvement, right? But not, not a huge difference. But then when it comes to the off-speed stuff, last season, he hit 244. This year, that's jumped all the way up to 452. And obviously, that's a huge difference. And so, based on what he's facing, fastballs, you know, probably a majority of the time, but pitchers aren't able to sort of trick him with the off-speed stuff as much. And you put those things together, obviously, all, his, all of his offensive numbers have jumped. And another reason why I think he's able to hit the off-speed stuff is those approaches we talked about to his stance. So he's getting down a little bit lower. He can get down in the zone and hit some of those balls that are, you know, breaking down there. And so it's interesting how the improvements are sort of stacked on top of each other. And I think that this is what makes me think it is real going forward because uh, that's a gigantic leap, you know, in off-speed stuff. And I think the other... His other average that I saw was against the curveball, which was about the same okay. uh, from this year to last year. Yeah, I, I definitely recommend people check out um, Nate's article because um, the you showed like kind of the change in his um, in his heat map basically between 2022 and 2023, and like basically he's just kind of ice cold at the in the bottom half of the zone i mean he still is able to dominate in in, in some spots in some spots but the the difference in 2022 versus 2023 and like and how much better he is doing lower in the zone is is super interesting and how that kind of combines both the swing adjustment and and maybe how he's seeing the ball i think is, is really cool yeah there's great visual yeah. in the article 
Yeah, thank you. I, I was just going to say it's, it's pretty remarkable when you see that heat map, you know, spelled out, and it's like, okay, this this guy could sustain this, and this could be real. So uh, I, I do think he should be able to continue these things, and the, the more I researched him, the less I thought it was kind of a fluke. And also, you have <laughs> to tie into when a team is playing as well as the Rangers are, it's infectious. It really is. So regardless of who the hitter is, I mean, look at someone like Ezekiel Duran as well. He's crushing the ball as well, and he was always kind of a middling guy. So it's nice to see when an offense is hot, they're all hot together. So that's one of the reasons I think why Haim is over-delivering as well. Very true. Yeah, they, the Rangers offense as a whole, uh, you know, they're first in almost every category, runs produced, batting average, and I think they've been sort of a surprise. I don't know about what you guys expected or if you if you thought about the Texas Rangers, but I don't think a lot of people saw them leading the division, maybe middle of the road. Right. Uh, so uh, he's been a big part of that. Definitely. He's been a driving factor in it for sure, especially catching that Rangers staff, which has been really good so far. If only DeGrom could stay healthy, but I know that far too well as a Mets fan. But <laughs> moving on to the final question, it's our favorite kind of segment when we interview people about a specific player. We do a would you rather segment. So for Jonah Heim, we're going to say that this is for rest of season, catchers in a one catcher league. So we'll say 12 team, one catcher league, standard five by five. Who would you rather sure. rest of season? We'll start with Jonah Heim or Cal Raleigh. We'll start with you, Nate. Yes. So this one, uh, I think I'm still going to go Heim. I know Raleigh had some power last year. He showed, but not a high batting average. And I just have liked what I see from Heim so far. So I'm going to stick with Heim. John, what about you? Uh, I mean, I, I love Big Dumper, but um, I, I, yeah, I think it's too easy to go with Heim here. It, like, the counting stats are probably a little are, are a little similar between the two, but the average is is definitely a lot light, a lot nicer for um for Jonah Heim. So I think we're going to go with Jonah Heim here. Yeah, I'm also going to go Heim. I think if you need homers, just specifically, maybe you go Cal. End of season, he might have more if you're doing a roto league. Mm -hmm. But in a head-to-head -head league, I think I'd rather Heim. So I'm just going to go Heim overall. But we love Big Dumper over here. You can't not love somebody with that nickname. So, <laughs> Next, we have Jonah Heim or Wilson Contreras. Nate, what do you think? This one was harder for me. Uh, and after thinking about it and, and sort of looking at the stats, I know Contreras has sort of come under some scrutiny. But due to his stolen base ability, I, I think I'll actually go Contreras. Um Heim can seal a base or two as well. I looked over the past couple of years, he've, he's had a handful, but that makes a big difference at a catcher position. And so I think I'll lean Contreras with this one. That's pretty interesting. John, what say you? Yeah, when I was kind of coming up with his questions, I was actually looking at Contreras' um, stat line. It's, I mean, it's not pretty, but I mean, none of the Cardinals' stat lines are very pretty right now. Um, part of me wants to believe that Contreras can kind of get back to where he was as, you know, kind of an all-star caliber catcher. But I, I looked at his last, like, five years of stats, and it just looks like stuff that Heim can handle. 
Like Heim has a better average. He's on pace for um, probably similar counting stats. Um, it feels wrong, but I think I'm going to go Jonah Heim here. Oh, okay. So I am the deciding vote. And I am going to choose Wilson Contreras. And the only reason for that is because I think Jonah Heim right now is better. I think Jonah Heim already exploded and used a lot of his rest of season stats early. I think he's going to slow down. Obviously, if he keeps this up, he's going to have the mm-hmm. best catching season of all time next to Mike Piazza. But <laughs> I think Wilson's ability to get RBI, he's batting third in the Cardinals lineup. I think mm-hmm. more RBI are going to come. As Nate mentioned, he's already got four steals. And I think the Cardinals in general are just seizing opportunities. We just did an interview with... With Jake Connors. That's it. That's it. And we just talked about that where the Cardinals utilize stolen bases in the right spots and they've been doing that to score runs. And even Nolan Arenado has chipped in a steal or two already and he's a guy who notoriously steals like one base per season. So I think that there's going to be more steals in the Cardinals organization as a whole. So I think on top of the... 20 home runs you can bank on Contreras for I think you're going to see like 80 RBI as well as like 10 to 12 steals and I think that just edges him a little bit more than Heim for me so I'm gonna go with Contreras and the tie there next we have Jonah Heim or Shea Langoliers of the Athletics Nate what about this one yes this is similar to the first option that that you gave me I'm gonna go Heim um I just think with with the A's, unfortunately, you're just not, you know, it's not a great place to be in right now. And no. even though, you know, <laughs> um, the the stat, Langlier's stats aren't too bad. It just, I don't know, It's maybe it's just all the negativity around Oakland. It just swayed me toward Heim. And I think he's only hitting the low 200s, but they could end up with the same amount of home runs and and ribbies but i'm gonna go heim okay john what do you think yeah this one's pretty easy i mean langoliers is having like a decent season as a rookie catcher um and the power is clearly there i mean he has he has seven homers and uh so far this season which is the same as heim but i think he's done it in less plate appearances uh but yeah i think heim is just a better overall player here um and so i'm gonna go with him yeah, I like Shea Langoliers a lot, but I am going to take Jonah Heim over him in this one. Just more RBI chances, more run chances. I mean, who's driving in Shea Langoliers? Nobody. I can't name the seven <laughs> right. through nine hitters on the athletics. So, yeah, we're not going to take Shea Langoliers on that one. But I do think Shea Langoliers is a great option for two catcher leagues. But in this example, Jonah Heim definitely over Shea Langoliers. And last but not least, we have Jonah Heim or Elias Diaz. Nate, last one, what do you think? Yes, this was actually the hardest one for me, and I went back and forth on this. And at, at first glance, I was like, well, it's Haim, no doubt. But then Diaz is, is quietly having a great year in Colorado. You know, he's hitting in a great environment, obviously. We know that about the Rockies. But uh, I checked earlier today, he's hitting 343 with an on-base percentage of almost 400. Uh, and that really blew me away. You don't see that batting average for a catcher. He's probably going to even out, but I want to go Heim, but I'm going to say Diaz for this. Wow, okay. That's a little shocking, yeah, John. The, was the batting average just blew me away. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> one of those things where I was looking at 
because uh, I was kind of comparing WRC pluses. That's like how it came up with this list of catchers, and I was like, Diaz has a really high WRC plus. I was trying to figure out why that was the case. Um, and yeah, it's because he's just hitting the ball really, really well. Um, I think this comes down to whether you need counting stats or ratios, and honestly, with catchers in like one catcher leagues. I am honestly looking for better ratios than stats, usually. Uh, just because I don't want my catcher to suck. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, and that can happen often. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't... I mean, the 343 batting average is insane. Like, he's he's never batted above... I think he batted 286 in 2018. Um, it feels wrong to say this, but I think Elias Diaz is my pick here because... The ratios are so nice. Wow, yeah. So this one's definitely tough. And you wouldn't think so because like Wilson Contreras and Cal Raleigh are just like way more owned players. So you wouldn't think that this is like a hard decision. But I think for this example specifically, the one catcher standard five by five league, I think I'm going to go with Haim. And the reason being is I don't think that average is real for Elias Diaz. Like John said, in 2018, he hit 286, and that was in Pittsburgh. But since he's been on the Rockies, he hit 235, 246, 228. So I think he's going to have a drastic crash down back to earth. He does hit in cores, which is very favorable for him. So I can see why you would want Diaz. And I think he's going to be good this season. Don't get it twisted. I don't think he's going to bat 220. I think he's going to bat more 260, 270. But I think Heim does the same thing and overall puts up better numbers. In an OBP league, I might go Diaz over him with a 400 OBP over a 330 from Heim. I think that's a little bit better. But I think that average is going to fall back down for Elias Diaz. Or he could just have a great season and maybe we're undervaluing him. But I think I have to go Heim. But that one's really close. I didn't think that was going to be that close. I thought that was actually going to be a freebie when I looked at this list. (laughs) And and it actually is the complete opposite. It is the hardest one. When you look at Diaz's stats, you're like, wait a second. This guy's like maybe a top three catcher right like right now i don't think he finishes as a top three catcher but it's just yeah he's not even rostered in my 10 and 12 team leagues on yahoo (laughs) right now so i just i'm looking at him i'm like wow this guy should probably be rostered (laughs) yeah yeah he's not a well-known name and i think he's just kind of going under the radar i mean i i knew who he was i'd heard of him before but when i actually looked at the numbers like oh wow okay (laughs) yeah this guy's performing way better than we thought (laughs) Yeah, it's very, very interesting. But that wraps up the Would You Rather segment and the interview with Nate Kosher on his article, Flying Heim, Is Jonah's Heim Breakout for Real? Definitely go and read it if you're listening to this. The visuals are great. There's heat maps. There's videos. There's GIFs. There's everything you could ask for in this article to see, hey, should I hold on to Heim or drop him for someone else? Maybe Elias Diaz is out there. Maybe you have Alejandro Kirk and you want to dump him for Heim. If he's still out there, then... Go and do it. So definitely check that article out and you heard it from us. But Nate, before you go, do you have anything you can plug? Do you have an article that you're going to be working on and coming out soon? Do you have a Twitter or anything you want to plug there? Sure. Well, spe- speaking of catchers, uh, this season for Pitcher List, I'm doing uh, the catchers to stream column every other week. So oh, okay. I-, I alternate. But um, I have been writing a little bit about catchers. So Heim was someone I had obviously suggested you know take a look at him not saying that i'm an expert a lot i think a lot of people would have said that but i do that uh with the catchers i put out a once a week relief pitcher article on the team that does that so looking at workloads and who's closing and getting saves etc 
And then uh, my Twitter is at Nathaniel Kosher. That's my full name. And the other place I write is uh, my own uh, Substack, which is called The Relief Pickle. And I try to interview interesting people throughout the game of baseball who aren't players. So, you know, unique people other than players. And so that's been fun and, and just a place to do some more writing. So follow me on Twitter and uh, you can find out all you need to know about catchers to stream. Yeah, that sounds very interesting. The interviewing very nice people outside of baseball that are not players. That sounds very interesting and something you should definitely listen to if you're listening to this. So thank you once again, Nate, for your time. We appreciate it greatly and hopefully we'll have you on again soon. All right. Thank you both. Uh, I appreciate being here. But now let's get into some streaming recommendation. John, what streamer names do we have for the week ahead? Yeah, we're going to start, as I mentioned, with Michael Kopech. Um, he's 40%, 44% roster in Yahoo, 25% roster in ESPN. So he really doesn't count as, as a streamer because both those are about 20%. Still, he should probably be available to pick up in your league. I don't know if I'd start him against the Angels on Monday. That's who he gets. But he does get destroyed on Saturday. And that's a pretty good matchup for him to take advantage of. If you're in a weekly league, I probably would still um, be willing to start him against the Angels. Um, yes, they're scary. They've got Trout and Otani. But the reality is, you know, if he limits them to just three runs that's and he gets goes six innings, that's still a quality start. So, um, yeah, if, if that's what you're looking for, obviously we're not looking for ace performances from streamers. So um, that might be enough to, to, wor- uh, to warrant a start. And then I've got the the Atlanta duo of Dylan Dodd and Jared Suster. Both of them are well under 10% rostered on in both ESPN and Yahoo. Uh, we actually both recommended these guys earlier in the season. Didn't work out as well then for streaming picks. But both Dodd and Schuster have had nice showings in the major since then. More so Schuster than Dodd. Um, they've got a nice cushy matchup coming up against Oakland, so that's kind of why I'm going here with, with both of those. Um, if you really only want to pick one, though, I would go Schuster over Dodd. Um, he's just had a little bit more um, shine in the majors. Dodd's had, th- like, three okay starts. Uh, really, two okay starts and one not great one. But, um, yeah, both those guys, I think, in going up against Oakland are prime candidates for streamers this week. Yeah, completely on board with exactly what you said. I'd rank them Kopech, Schuster, Dodd in that order. Exactly the same. And also for Kopech, he gets the Angels on Monday, as John said. And if he's pitching as good as he has the last two, I mean, you just got to run him out there, I guess. You know, you could bench him. But what's the harm of doing that and starting your week off like that? Sometimes, honestly, it's good to get either a great start on Monday because it kind of sets your path ahead for the week. Or Mm -hmm. if you get a bad one, then you can kind of just stream and throw caution to the wind. So I don't mind starting someone like Kopech on a Monday because I, if it was a Sunday against the Angels and ratios were close, I'd probably bench him, you know. But on a Monday, right. yep. I throw him mm-hmm. out there. And then also you yep. have to grab him now because, as John mentioned, he gets Detroit on Saturday. And to not mention him again the next week because I think his roster rate will go up a little bit. But then he gets the yep. Marlins after the Tigers. Exactly, yep. So you're going to want to hold him for those two starts at least. So. If you want to use him on Monday, go ahead. But his real money is against Detroit and against the Marlins. So Kopech has a great schedule ahead. So definitely good suggestion there. And then Schuster and Dylan Dodd, anyone against the A's, right? Like the few (laughs) streaming teams right now, I would say, is stream against the Pirates, stream against the A's, stream against the Tigers, and stream against the Royals. Those four teams, 
if any serviceable pitcher that has a good strikeout rate or has been doing somewhat okay, like a Luke Weaver, for instance, if they're going up against any of those four offenses, just stream because they are not playing well and you could take advantage of it completely. Yep. And and the thing with uh, Kopech is like he is already pretty you know well rostered, right? Forty four percent on on Yahoo. He does well against. Uh, he does well against the Angels, you'll have no chance, right? And so this is where it helps to start planning a little ahead with these guys and, and start looking, you know, one to two weeks ahead and see what the schedule is because it will kind of impact, you know, who are the guys that you want to value when you do these sort of streamer pickups. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's completely true. So, yeah, definitely go and grab Kopech now if you can and ride him for at least these three starts because the way he's been pitching, you never know. He could give you ace upside even though he started off absolutely terrible. But those are your streamers for the week. Hopefully they work out for your team. And if they don't, we're sorry. But if they do, you're welcome. But that's going to do it for this episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Before you go, please follow us on Twitter at ThisWeekPL. And you can send us your comments and questions to our email at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. You can find John on Twitter at TheJohnKe. That's T-H-E-J-O-H-N-K-E. And myself on Twitter at Regicidal. That's R-E-G-I-C-I-D-A-L. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the Pitcher List podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts on. And please, we'd appreciate it greatly if you could leave us a five-star review if you enjoyed the show. Lastly, sign up for Pitcher List Plus. By doing so, you can join us in the Pitcher List Discord and get advice from all of the fantasy experts and writers over there. But that's going to do it for this week. We will be back next week with another episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. For John, I'm Lee, and we'll see you in the next one. Later, everyone. Later, everyone.